0: Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Anya Crittenton, a writer and editor in Los Angeles, and this week I am joined by my two co-hosts.
1: I'm Huai Chen a writer at Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in New York, and I'm
2: Willoughby Jobs, the Force Ghost in Washington D.C. I am dead from the Star Wars Rise of Skywalker trailer. Full disclosure, we are recording it minutes
1: after this premieres.
0: (laughs) And yet we are not, this episode is not about that trailer, despite what you might think from Willoughby's tears.
1: It is not, unfortunately. Um, I mean, but there is one thing that is relevant from the Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker trailer, and that is that it's full of baddies. It's full of some villains, guys. It is full uh, of some villains. It's all about that hive of villainy. And uh, it has also one of the most famous, perhaps, villain redemption stories. And that's what we're going to be talking about, basically. Villains and what makes them evil, what drives them to the the badness <laughs> that they exist in, the evil that they commit, and whether they can be redeemed or saved or should they be. Um, and why we are feel so compelled to these kinds of stories you may have seen it recently in films like maleficent mistress of darkness or the the movie that shall not be named but i'll name it anyways joker don't name why do you name it, why'd you bring it? <laughs>
2: batman's villain
1: no no he got a movie
2: no. and it was no. complicated no and matter the
1: genre no matter the um the audience we find ourselves drawn to villains and
0: um why do you think that is anya I feel like I'm a bad person to answer this because I notoriously do not like villains. I love heroes through and through. It is rare you will find me rooting for a villain. It's maybe happened a handful of times. The more villainous characters I do love are generally morally gray, sort of maybe anti-heroes or antagonists versus outright villains, Uh, like like a Loki, for example, who I do love dearly, but cannot call him like an outright villain um so i'm i'm horrible answering this because i normally am not drawn to villains um however i think i can say for in general people who are it's because they present a more they present complexity in stories and in character arcs um that sometimes heroes are devoid of but also aren't and people who say that are giving heroes the very short end of the stick, which they do not deserve because they can be very complex and very wonderful. But anyway, this is about villains. Um, And I think, I think people are drawn to kind of um, that gray morality. I think especially because in the real world, that type of, it's so different. Like a murderer in the real world is, you know, a murderer, but in fictional stories, with various backgrounds and motivations and the fact that it's not real, you get to play in this morality that you don't normally, you don't really get to play in in real life. Mm. And I think that can be kind of liberating um, in a way.
1: Yeah, like you were saying before um, about people finding uh, conflict and, and something compelling in villains, you know, conflict is what drives plot. And villains provide an easy in for that because they're just full of conflict, Um, whether it's moral conflict or whether they themselves are the impetus for a conflict in a story. Um, But what... uh, Let's first... uh, I want to first ask you guys, how would you define a villain? Willoughby, how would you define a villain?
2: Well, Webster's Dictionary defines (laughs) villainy... (laughs) As, uh, no, um, I would just, I mean, that's a loaded question. I mm-hmm. guess, because, like, antagonist can be different than the villain. They're
0: very different, but, yeah.
2: But at the same time, the villain usually is, like, the foil to the hero who wants to, they have their own motivations, usually for nefarious purposes, and they counter what the hero wants, um, and, and so, like, they, that is a bit of a, of, like, what an antagonist does. The antagonist is, uh, they want the, they want something that conflicts with what the protagonist wants, in yeah. terms of, if we're getting into, like, basic storytelling devices here. But, like, villains are usually, like, the opposite of the hero. Um, and it gets muddied when you have, like, villain redemption stories, or, like, tragic heroes, um, such as our boy Anakin Skywalker, um, and or you have, like, a potential redemption story in one Benjamin Solo coming up in this movie. I don't even think um, it's
0: potential. It's happening. I think it's, ine- it's inevitable. I mean, yeah, I mean... Anyone, Darth who, Darth Vader, anyone who doesn't see that Kylo Ren is going to be redeemed is, A, naive, and, B, has never seen a Star Wars movie before in their life.
2: Right, like, every every... Like, Darth Vader was redeemed, and Darth Vader murdered children. So, like, there's a lot there. The, the Star Wars is... It was, yeah, there's there. Um, I'm still recovering from watching that trailer. Um, yeah, villains are, are usually, like, the anti... Like, uh, I wouldn't say... Well, okay, anti-hero is a whole nother thing that... If we want to get into. But, like, they are the anti of the hero.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I would argue that, like... If you if you we're talking about traditional villains here, like capital V. Yeah. I think what sets them apart from antagonists, who, like Willoughby said, are simply characters who kind of like are in the way of the protagonist goals. Whether or not the protagonist is a hero or a villain, it's just protagonist and antagonist, they oppose each other's like goals. I think villain with a capital V in my mind is someone who by the rules and understood morality of the world in which they reside they want to do generally what are perceived to be like evil or negative things um they they wreak havoc or they terrorize innocents or or what we perceive to be innocent people and sort of the quote unquote good guys right in the villain's mind they might not always be like the villain but i think for me you know like i like i was saying earlier i would not include like loki In this particular discussion we're having. Yeah. But I would include someone. Like Red Skull. You know. If we're Mm going to use like Marvel villains as an example. And so it's like. I might not necessarily include like Fisk. Who is so much more fleshed out. And is mostly just an antagonist to. Daredevil. With his own. Somewhat good motivation, but does it in the very wrong way. I would still cool say motive, that he's, yeah, say cool that motive, he's a villain.
1: Murder. He's a sympathetic villain, but he still is a villain. He
0: is. He is a sympathetic villain. Ugh, I just love this so much. Um, I do think that there... Anya,
2: question for you. Willoughby. Would you consider Hans from Frozen the antagonist or the villain of... 2013's hit film, Frozen,
0: uh, Walt Disney. The love of my life from the Southern Isles. You see, you say that you
1: love heroes, Anya, but you love a lot more villains than I do. Like, hold on, you hold
0: just on. named, like, three villains. Yeah. Hold on. Oh, hold on. First off, Loki is not a villain. Okay. Fight
2: okay, Who's who fighting the Avengers in the Avengers? Uh,
1: who is murdering yeah. 82 people in the Avengers?
0: Uh, Thanos, um, who is really Loki's just a puppet. Um, anyway, Loki is a pure little angel baby, and I love him. Anyway, um, Hans.
2: Producing a lot, but okay. <laughs> shh,
0: shh, shh. Hans. <laughs> I just love him so much, that little piece of shit listen listen when anna when he first meets anna and she leaves and he's under the boat that they fell in he smiles she cannot see him smile and that is a genuine smile do you, and you I'm think like, it's a genuine yes, smile okay, or do you think I'll it's get- a smile
1: like oh i'm going to marry that girl and steal her kingdom from her
0: no 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 that's, that's a genuine smile that, no, well, it's maybe a genuine it's a genuine smile, smile from him because he
1: now. genuinely is is very happy that he's gonna steal this no. kingdom from this girl yeah
2: no the, the love is an open
0: door is his villain song i know i know it is
1: well that's actually going to touch on something i want to ask you guys um and that i think the recent movies that i spoke of uh play into this very um strongly and that's the reframing of the villain yes they still do dastardly deeds they're still bad as in the cool mode of still murder Kind of thing, but they these movies like Maleficent, like
0: Nope, the movie not, that shall not,
1: not be nope. named, nope. reframe nope. their deeds in a way that you see it from their perspective, um, and kind of goes into that saying that no one thinks they are the villain of the story. They they are just they think they're the hero, or they think they're just trying to get by, and I think that that is an interesting way of approaching villains that's not necessarily a redemption story but adds another layer to these villains that we haven't really seen before. Like for Maleficent, who for, for so long was like the capital V villain of the Disney animated movies. And I know that you are really passionate about Maleficent, Anya. Um, I am. And I, I wanna that. know what you what so you have to think about this.
0: Well, I think it's interesting with Maleficent versus um, he who just not must not be named, and I do not mean Voldemort in this case. <laughs> um, The thing with Maleficent... You can call him Arthur Fleck. I will uh, be very glad not to. Um, So the thing with Maleficent, which I think is really interesting, is that when Disney made the live-action Maleficent movie, Maleficent's story was was an open book. It was a clean slate. Because all we knew about her from the original animated series was she shows up to a party, Aurora's christening, says... I wasn't invited, and then proceeds to curse Aurora. We pretty much get no other motivation or backstory to who Maleficent is. So I feel like making Maleficent was actually somewhat easy because they could literally do anything, right? Mm -hmm. And I find it very hard to even think of Maleficent as a villain origin story because she is not the villain in Maleficent, um, the reason I love Maleficent so much is that it is essentially just a feminist rape revenge film. Um, because in this origin story, she befriends Stefan, Aurora's father, uh, when he is a child. And they essentially fall in love uh, before Stefan literally drugs her and then cuts off her fairy wings, which is assault. Um... And leaves her stranded, assaulted, abused, and drugged when she wakes up alone the next morning in pain and terror and humiliation and so with that, it's like I feel like it's hard to even see Molton as a villain because she has been so wronged um, yet, I also appreciate that movie that when she does like curse Aurora and whatnot, we're not supposed to meant we're not meant to agree with that decision as Aurora is an innocent in all of this. Yeah. She's still doing a bad thing, but we have so much sympathy for her because of what she has been put through. Um, Versus say, and I'm not going to use the example of uh, Joker, but Disney is making an origin story for Cruella Deville. And that, I feel like, is going to be—I'm not sure if they're going to be trying to do a redemption story, a la Maleficent, or if it's just going to be an origin story and she will still be a villain. But that is a much harder line to walk, I think, because we actually see the crimes that Cruella commits in 101 Dalmatians, and killing and skinning puppies, is pretty unforgivable in most people's eyes. Yep.
2: It's a bad thing.
0: Right, so Maleficent was a clean slate, Cruella much less so. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure, I forget what you asked me, but I just really love Maleficent because it's very feminist. Well, uh,
1: you basically answered my question about the reframing of the villain because we basically see Maleficent do all that she did in the original animated movie and in the original fairy tale and those things are bad and unforgivable, but we get another perspective for why she did them. And it's not the same, I think, as a a redemption story, even though we do see redemption at the end. But I think that, like, that is an interesting approach that we're starting to see more in storytelling.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, I just want to, like, do a quick shout out. So my favorite Disney villain of all time is Hook. I love Captain Hook. He is my favorite. He's so much fun. He's so over the top and ridiculous. And literally his enemy is a little boy and his group of ragtag little boy friends. And I'm like, you are a grown man, James Hook. You are being ridiculous. And that's why I love him. Um, And Hook is not someone who I necessarily need an origin story for because he has been told in many, many versions of Peter Pan over the years. However, I will say... I just wanted to give a quick shout out, Uh, Nikita Gill is one of my favorite poets, and in her book of poetry called Fierce Fairy Tales, she does a poem about Hook. And in this poem, Hook is a young boy uh, who lives in England, and he falls in love with another young boy named Peter, and the two fall in love, and they say they're gonna spend their whole lives together, and then Peter one day flies off and disappears and strands, uh, like, abandoned Hook, and never sees him again. And so Hook's motivation for going to Neverland and finding Peter is that he is a spurned lover. Ooh, that's and interesting. It's, it's told in a very, very just kind of, like, poignant way, and it adds kind of the queer love story element, um, and, you know, reframes Hook in that way. And so I find it really, I found that really interesting. I just wanted to give a quick shout out to that. But I think that villains can be a lot of fun, especially if they are the more either ridiculous or mysterious villains, a la a Maleficent or a hook, um, whose crimes are not necessarily the most atrocious of the bunch. So not war crimes. (laughs)
1: Yes, or, you know, genocide.
0: You know, or genocide. Like, um, maybe not genocide, but uh, killing little Padawans, Anakin Skywalker.
2: Killing younglings. I know way too much of the Revenge of the uh, Sith script. Um, Anakin Skywalker is a complex fellow, ain't he?
1: He sure um, is.
2: He's got that. Shows he... chosen... you haven't read the Matthew Stover Revenge of the Sith novelization. Is he? He wants to save everybody he can, and he ends up doing it. Well, he ends up failing at it, but he also tr- attempts to do it by doing some some dark deeds. Um. Because you know the dark side is a path to many abilities that some consider to be unnatural. Um, you fail,
0: Obi Wan Kenobi. You fail me.
2: Yeah, that's true. Oh, well, I mean, Obi Wan says I have failed Anakin. I have failed you.
0: I I appreciate that because Obi Wan is the like bigger person, but it's not true. He has the Anakin high ground.
1: Has... <laughs> yes. This is what Thank we you. do when we podcast at ten p m Eastern time.
2: It's Cyber high five. There we go. I um, can'
0: <laughs> no, I can't, that, I can't then, ask you to defend Anakin to me because you and uh, Diana did that in our Star Wars episode earlier this year. Go back if you want to listen to them, try and convince me that Anakin is a compelling character. But why? since we're talking about villains and redemptions? Yes. will it be why specifically? Anakin Skywalker, who becomes a Vader, one of the most iconic villains of all time. Why does yeah. his specifically his redemption work for you?
2: Um, because it um, because it's uh, spurred by his son, who sees the best in his father or the good in his father, and attempts to bring him back to the light side. Um, and I want to talk about the villain redemption story from the angle of the hero. Because I think that it's an interesting story to have a villain who is so evil like Darth Vader um, who you can't see anything good about him uh, by the by the by return of the Jedi, he's you know he cut off his son's hand, revealed to him right after that that he is his father, and then like still commits like, war crimes and is like a general like as is a sith lord um and you know there's there's a little bit of probably breaking in there because he's like darth vader sort of has this uh split personality disorder with anakin and how he cannot call himself anakin anymore um and that anything about anakin has died within him but luke doesn't believe that luke believes that there is still good in him. And so it is through the power of the goodness in his son, who is the hero of the original trilogy of Star Wars. Darth Vader is able to redeem himself by throwing the emperor off the edge of the Death Star into an abyss and explode him. Or so we think apparently now. Um, And, (laughs) and Darth Vader in in the the film's language is now saved. Is now has now been able to redeem himself and become a force ghost.
1: I have a question. And costume. looks like he
2: mentions it again.
1: Yes. Um do you think by virtue of being redeemed, that revokes their villain card and they are actually an anti hero or a tragic hero? As you call I mean, the definitely he's
2: tragic Anakin's definitely like in labeling what he would be is a tragic hero. Because he ultimately is the chosen one. He does bring balance to the Force. Um, unfortunately, that means some slaughtering is involved. Um, but he gets it down to two and two, and is able to fulfill his destiny by destroying both of himself, um, the Sith, and, both Siths, and dies doing it in sort of like a sacrificial sort of way. He knew he he knew by the Force lightning that. He would die because he's a mechanical robot. Um, and electricity well, doesn't work with the suits like that. And through the through that that heroic act of defeating evil, which includes himself, he's able to be redeemed in the eyes of his son. And through force magic, he's able to look like Hayden Christensen again.
0: So I'm gonna say to your question and to go off what Willoughby was saying is that no. Redemption does not revoke the title of villain um, because redemption does not excuse atrocities you committed. Those atrocities still exist. You still committed them. You must still take responsibility for them. Mm. And you must... um, What is the word I'm looking for when you work to... You must atone for them, yes. And that, I think, is one of the weakest aspects of Anakin Skywalker's redemption is, I think, that sacrificial death is one of the most, it's one of the laziest writing plots a writer can do um, because it's... I didn't say it was
2: good. I said it happened.
0: No, I know. I know. But what I'm saying is like, I think his weakest part is the fact that he does die um, because it is, it is lazy and easy because it does not, it means that yes, he could redeem himself in the eyes of Luke Skywalker, but what about in the eyes of all the parents whose younglings he murdered? Um, and whose you know, people he slaughtered as Darth Vader. And so he never got to atone for those. And so I think that is weak um, writing. And I still think that like just because you can redeem yourself and perhaps work towards becoming a hero, it does not mean that during that time you committed crimes that you weren't a villain then. Mm. Which is why I hope that in Kylo's redemption, I hope that Kylo lives because the better arc will be for Kylo to have to atone for what he has done with the First Order and to actually work towards going back to the light and becoming a better person. Um, Which leads me to you, HT. Yes. I would like to hear you like a character who has probably one of the best redemption arcs in the entire world. My boy. I... I am ambivalent towards him um, personally, but...
2: That's rough, buddy.
0: It is rough. Um, so I would like you to talk a little bit about a man named Zuko.
1: My boy Zuko from Avatar The Last Airbender. Can I talk about him uh, uh, academically? Because I just I love him far too much. <laughs> you know, the thing is, uh, why I was asking Willoughby about the idea of a villain being able to be redeemed is that I don't see Zuko as a villain. I see him as an antihero, even at the beginning of his introduction in Avatar: the Last Airbender, because you see him as the antagonist to Aang and the gang, the gang, but the gang. <laughs> but um, right off the bat, you see that he has his own issues that he has been banished from his his uh, country that he has been um uh disowned by his father that he's trying to see- to regain that honor and so be- with with that baggage I think that kind of takes away from the fact that he f- is a villain that from being just a straight up villain I think he's always been an anti-hero so that's why for me it's like hard to reconcile whether a villain can be can actually go through a redemption story. I just think that if they go through a redemption story, maybe they are an antihero. But it's all very tenuous. So, yeah, for Zuko, I think what makes him so appealing to me is that he has always been a sympathetic character. And a lot of his mistakes, yes, they're they're ones that he's made on his own, but they're also him being a product of his environment. And I find that incredibly compelling and incredibly tragic because the most tragic thing you can do is make horrible choices that affect other people but also isn't it all as tragic that you can't that these things are out of your control from the moment you're born and i love that sort of uh that conflict and it's something that is present in his own genes in his blood that we see in a later episode where that battle between good and evil is forever waging with him because within him because he's of the blood of um avatar roku uh the former avatar and of um the fire lord who conquered and uh defeated and terrorized all the other nations so i just i just find him a very fascinating character and again i, I would exempt him from being a villain just because i think right off the bat being sympathetic and having that that odd stacked against him makes him an anti-hero first and his motivations too. They don't come from like necessarily a pure place, but they come from an understandable place. And something that is he isn't out to just hurt people for hurting people's sake. He's doing it for some almost noble reason, the idea of regaining that
0: honor. That's
1: why I love my boy. I, love her. I really
0: I really love that explanation and I really love your love of him. Um, I think Zuko an amazingly well-written character. I'm mostly ambivalent towards him because Sokka exists. Um, So Sokka distracts me. (laughs) Um, But I I think Zuko's amazing. I'm just kind of like a villain or an antagonist. Um, But everything you say is correct. And that's interestingly how I also feel about Loki, especially in the first Thor movie. Because I think sometimes you have to think about, when you think about Loki as a character and what he goes through, Loki literally wants to commit genocide because he has so much self-loathing. Like, I think it's interesting when people think about Loki. He doesn't want to kill the Frost Giants because they are the enemy of Asgard. He wants to kill the Frost Giants because he is a Frost Giant and he's not an Asgardian. And he hates himself so much for that. And it's very tragic. And... Just the way you were talking about Zuko reminded me of why I love Loki Dark so much in the first Thor movie. Yeah. Another thing I
1: want to say about Zuko (laughs) (laughs) is that he is a romantic... You know, one of the reasons I love Jamie Lannister is that he reminds me a lot of, of Zuko, at least, in terms of... But he's kind of like the reverse almost in terms, in terms of the arc because he never is able to go through with that redemption because of his own self-loathing. But that's for another day. But Zuko is a romantic and idealist from the beginning. He b- grows up believing that his empire it, that his father had, has built is the greatest thing on earth. But he balks at the idea of sacrificing soldiers and that's what gets him uh, hurt by his father in that duel. And he literally carries the burden and the scars on his own face, uh, of that his family inflicted on, upon him. And I just think that's so interesting, as both an internal and external thing, is that he just wears it on his face. And that's and like that his exterior will never change, but his interior will because he tries and he does try to atone. Just literally love Zuko, anyways. Go back to your Loki points. I just wanted to give my my shout out to Zuko because I love him.
0: I didn't have much to add. I just wanted to say that like that just it reminded me of Loki and why I love him as a character so much. And I think I think that is the sign of a good antihero character or mm-hmm. a good sort of redemption story is when is when there is kind of that complexity and you can sympathize with them. Yeah. Because obviously some of the things that Loki does in the movie are maybe perhaps not unforgivable, but certainly terrible. But the fact that you can understand them, that you can see that he has genuine love for his his family, and how that is what motivates him, and the his perceived betrayal of them, or by them, you know, it it makes it makes him both sympathetic and tragic, while also terrible at the same time. Mm-hmm. And when you're able to have those, when you're able to have multiple feelings about a character like that, I think that is the sign of a good character. Who's morally gray. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, we do love
1: our villains, but we love our anti-heroes more.
0: <laughs> I, I think so. I think what this is turning into is just that none of us really love outright unforgivable villains. Even my love of Hans is mostly ridiculous. And I mostly only play it up these days because it makes my friends laugh and balk at me. <laughs> um. um but I – you know, I, it's hard for me to like – you know, it's why I can't stand a character like Joker because there is nothing complex about him in my mind. Yeah.
1: I, well, I think um, the most compelling thing about him is that there is nothing complex about him. He's just a force of nature. He's a force right. of chaos. And that's what makes him so interesting as a villain but not as a character.
2: Yeah. It's almost – it's almost like you should never do an origin story about him and just leave him as an antagonist with uh, uh, multiple backstories about how he got those stars. What?
0: When mm-hmm. Willoughby, Todd Phillips couldn't do his non-P.C. comedy, so what else was he supposed to do?
2: That's true. That's true. Comedy is canceled because, uh, you know, we can't we can't laugh anymore. So uh, tough
0: being a white male director in Hollywood these days.
2: I mean, it really is. You can't do anything these days without people just looking at you and going, well, "That's
0: it. not fun." You just have to make a movie that really makes light of mental health issues and doesn't actually contribute to the conversation in a positive way.
2: Yeah, you so just have sad. to make empty, empty movies with uh, a weird dance sequence on a stair. Um, Poor that's why. Yeah. Okay. Like we've been dancing around it, but that's why dark knight joker so much better than any other jokers because except for mark
1: hamill's joker
2: okay fair enough if we're talking about all jokers mark hamill's joker is amazing because he's also a force of nature um but like the dark knight joker is so good because he's just like this like buck wild out of nowhere agent of chaos who just wants to fuck with people
1: yep he literally he just rather, wants to watch
2: the world burn. He'd He's rather got nothing burn a pile
1: him. of money than um, you know gain anything out of it.
2: And and like the and like also like Christopher Nolan never bothered trying to diagnose what the fuck was wrong with him. Mm. I think once you start actually trying to do that, you get into a lot of problematic issues.
1: But uh, going off of that and um, yes. the origin stories for characters maybe that we're not interested in, what origin stories for villains? would you guys be interested in seeing Anya why don't you go first
0: yeah so we're going to turn this into a little bit of a round table and we're each going to pitch one villain or anti-hero that we would like to see an origin story for on the big or small screen and given that we were just speaking about Joker I'm going to talk about the Batman villain who truly deserves the origin story and that is one poison ivy Two things you may know about Poison Ivy. Her origin story is very feminist and she's an environmentalist. In an era of the Me Too movement and climate change, she is a natural fit to be a very timely character that we get to explore in an in-depth and complex way. Let me tell you a little bit about Miss Poison Ivy. She made her debut in Batman number 181 in 1966. Um, She was partly based on the Nathaniel Hawthorne short story, Rappaccini's Daughter, which is about a young woman who tends to this garden full of poisonous plants, and she ends up developing a resistance to the toxins of these plants, but then ends up becoming poisonous to other human beings herself. So that is partly where Poison Ivy's origin comes from. Um, She has two main origin stories. Um, but they both share in common the idea of a man in a position of power uh, manipulating and harming Poison Ivy and sort of setting off the chain of events that uh, leads her to become a villain of Gotham and a revenge filled woman. Um, her second origin story, and my favorite one, was penned by none other than Neil Gaiman. No wonder. I love Poison Ivy. So Neil Gaiman created Poison Ivy's second main origin uh, in 1988, and in this, she is a PhD botanist, and she is seduced and poisoned by her mentor, Dr. Jason Woodrue. He poisons her over and over again with toxins and uh, poisonous herbs to kind of test their limits and uh, their properties, and he he uses her as uh, his test subject. And so through that, she develops her resistance to these toxins and everything and like her sort of more supernatural abilities, um, including the kiss of death, which is perhaps one of her more famous moves. Um, but she has always been something of and more of an antagonist than an outright villain and something more of a, an anti-hero. antihero um, during this run. Let me tell you a couple things that happen with Poison Ivy. For one, she explicitly states that her motivation to go into crime is to earn money so she can live alone with her plants in peace and no one will bother her. (laughs) That's the dream right there. That's all she wants to do. And she's able to do that at some point in the comics. She creates what's called the Second Eden in the Caribbean where she just lives in this very, like, environmentally friendly and lush space until it is firebombed by Americans. Great, great. And then she returns to Gotham with revenge on her mind, which understandable. In another case, uh, there's a very famous Batman story called No Man's Land, uh, in which an earthquake decimates the city of Gotham. And she ends up taking over this park. And instead of fighting over the land, like other villains do in Gotham. She just takes this one park and she says, this is mine. And she creates sort of another version of Eden where plants can grow. And she takes in 16 kids who were orphaned by the earthquake. And she starts to take care of them and to like save them, except all the people in Gotham think she's holding them with her hostages. Aww. And so they think she's just being a villain. And so they target her again. So Poison Ivy has a lot of tragedy, but she also her number one thing is the environment and saving this planet. Um, plus she's bisexual. So we would also get Harley. a queer leading character. Yes. Yeah, so she and Harley Quinn, um, they uh, started their relationship in like 2015, I believe. Um, and uh, started a actual romantic relationship. Um, unfortunately, they ended up breaking up in 2016. Um, but poison ivy's reason for this harley asks poison ivy to move in with her and poison ivy says i love you more than anything in the world but right now my number one goal is to save the planet we're living on and that requires my full dedication and time and that has to be my number one priority which means you can't be and that's not fair to you so i can't move in with you because she wants to save the world which is like uh ivy um and then in 2018, two years later, it's revealed that she and Harley get married. Oh, It's very cute. I actually so know Poison- it was
1: canon that they were together because I remember that Batman the Animated Series always toyed with them being like the Thelma and Louise style like friends. And there was some yeah. sort of sapphic vibes between them. But I'm really, I'm happy that they finally no, like, yeah. made that so canon. They become
0: like canon, canon. So like you could also explore that element in an origin story for Poison Ivy. Um, The idea that, you know, a man in power is, you know, who abused her in the first place and kind of what led her on this path and the love she finds with another, you know, woman in Gotham who has been abused by a man and the focus that she wants on the world and making it a greener place. I just think that Poison Ivy is sort of a perfect villain to explore these days um, and it's why you know I look at a movie like Joker, and I'm just kind of like, why? Like Poison Ivy is right there. Um, so yeah, Poison Ivy—that's who I want to see explored on the screen because I think she's wonderful, and I think she's sort of a, a hero in a way at the same time—hero and a villain. All right, I would actually
1: describe her as an antihero too, because she always she always comes from noble intentions. Um, and, like, the crimes and everything are just a means to an end. Willoughby, what about you? What is your pick for um, a villain that you would like to see either an origin story for or, like, a reframing, something like that?
2: So I would like to see uh, one Tom Riddle uh, not be born by the parents that he has. I'd like to see him have normal parents who are not under any love potions and ultimately decide to go to the dark side because he just likes it better um, and like has like the power and like likes the all the the evilness that comes with it and like chooses darkness because I feel like the thing about Lord Voldemort is that he he's definitely a villain. he's definitely bad but I definitely think he was never given a choice and because like he was born with no, like no love in, in his heart essentially. Um, and I think it would be really interesting to explore someone who g- tries to gain power, like for knowledge and ultimately like chooses to become evil. That's why I like what Kylo Ren does in the last Jedi where he chooses to st- to become the supreme leader, um, after killing Snoke, and like he had a choice to go with Rey, and he made the choice not to. Um, I think that it would be interesting if you, if you give someone like Voldemort a choice to be good, and if he rejects it,
1: interesting because
2: because then if you if he rejects it, I feel like that there's actually more nuance there than him just being like the ultimate evil, um, because. Like, like how he dies at the end of of the book is that he dies as a, as a man, and not this like creature of darkness that he he tries to become with his Horcruxes. So once you get the Horcruxes out of him, he's just he's a mortal man again. But what happens, like it's sort of sort of like I guess Breaking Bad, where you like I wouldn't say he has good intentions like providing for a family, but like just to see like this like the descent of Someone who maybe is curious about, like, magic spells and succumbs to the darkness when he discovers, like, oh, it's more powerful to be bad or something. And, like, ends up liking the darkness more or something rather than, like, being born without, like, a soul, essentially.
1: Well, don't we see... The mirror version of that with Harry Potter, because there are so many, you know, similarities drawn between Harry and Tom Riddle's childhoods. They both came from unloving homes. They both were orphans. They both came from, you know, uh, were introduced to this magical world, which they found refuge in. And one went down the dark path, and the other did not. And yet, Harry always had those sort of temptations along the way. So. Do you think that story has already been told with Harry, or do you think that there's something that could be more interesting if in like the sort of alternate retelling of Tom Riddle's story?
2: Well, I think it'd be more interest. I th- I think that like the alternate having him maybe have like un like growing up like normal wizard and or like is a muggle and then discovers that he has powers, um, and then discovering that maybe he doesn't. You know, he's not the most virtuous of people or and, you know, is sort of given all the options Harry is, but takes all the wrong um, things. But I just I I would like to I would like to have it be where he like, because the way that he's 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 made as he's born is I believe his father was under a love potion. Yeah. So I, th- cause, so that sort of, so because he wasn't born with like, like, I, I think I would like to have it more him having the choice to be evil
1: mm.
2: or something because I feel like the way that J.K. Rowling writes that is that that agency is sort of taken away from him.
1: Yeah, for of sure.
2: having like, and so like I think it'd be more interesting if presented two two paths and he takes the dark path. Mm. Um, without having it be like you know basically like written in stone before he's even born that he's going to end up being a bad guy
1: i see yeah that sounds really compelling Ooh, i don't have quite uh as much of a prepared spiel as anya or willoughby does this is just a character I'm not very
2: prepared i sort of bullshitted it (laughs) yeah
1: well it's just a character that i always found compelling and i wanted to see more of but not necessarily a redemption or even a reframing of them i just want to see them being evil (laughs) and enjoying that as it is and that's lady macbeth in um shakespeare's macbeth Scottish play. I just always found her such a dynamic and compelling master manipulator and the way that she pulls all the strings, but then in like the third act she completely disappears and is said to have gone mad with um with guilt and regret and essentially killed herself off stage. And I thought that was such a a shame shameful way to like get rid of such a compelling female character such a such a like a waste basically and uh what i want to see is just more of her something that would be would do justice to the the powerful force that she is and maybe in the vein of um you know gone girl where you don't see any redemption from anyone and it is all about that female villain and you see where she comes from and her side but at the same time she is completely amoral and completely um un uh, redeemable, and that's what makes Gondrill so compelling to watch, and that kind of reversal. I feel like that's just something that would be that kind of framing would be really interesting to see Lady Macbeth through.
0: Yeah, so you don't necessarily want to see her redeemed, because right, because like I, I think a redemption of Lady Macbeth sort of like takes away some of the the strength and complexity she has as a character. Mm-hmm. So you're just seeing, you're just saying you want sort of. You almost want Macbeth, but just told from Lady Macbeth's perspective. Yeah, and yeah. also,
1: I don't want to see her die in such a lame way. <laughs> like, offstage. What the hell, Shakespeare?
0: Are you, are you, say we got a story, a, a movie about Lady Macbeth, like, or Macbeth from her point of view. Um, would you still want to see her die? Do you still think that, like, death is a fitting <sighs> end for her? But as long as it's done I, in a kind of more power. Uh,
1: when I read it, I actually didn't think that, death was fitting for her I thought that her okay. whole spiral into madness just came out of nowhere because she was so assured and so like um much less uh troubled than Macbeth was like her whole out damn spot scene while wow, you know amazing piece of of uh writing in theater i just felt like almost out of character for her because i was just like she was she was so sure and so like assured of herself up until now and suddenly this guilt eats away at her and she just like dies and i never was satisfied with that so but that's just like just my thinking i'm sure there's academic texts on it and this is me being like my 15 year old self being like what's so lame who is this what what are you doing to this amazing female character <laughs> this insane female villain i love her but so yeah, that's just my yeah no I I,
0: I I mean she's definitely one of Shakespeare's best characters and one of his most memorable. Mm-hmm. So I would love to see a. Do you have any favorite Lady Macbeth performances?
1: I don't. This is just me going off reading the play, and okay. um, yeah, so it's just me in high school being very impassioned about the fact that Lady Macbeth was often such a such a anticlimactic way. And I'm still angry about it 10 years later.
0: That's completely understandable. She deserves a better a better told story she does. about her. I'd watch that in a heartbeat. Yeah,
1: I would too.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I think that wraps up our discussion about villains and more anti heroes. Yeah.
1: I feel like we've got to – What, what is antihero like. in the end?
0: Yeah. Um, And the the characters, the interheroes we'd like to see explored more.
1: Yeah. Um, So I
0: think
1: that wraps it up. Yeah. So with that, let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. I really, 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 really like you. Okay. Willoughby, would you like to start us off this week? What do you really like? I kind of... I kind of have an idea. I feel like I have a hint.
2: So if we were recording at 8.45 p.m., I would have said, my really like would have been Parasite because I saw it this weekend <gasps> and it's, it's really good and I definitely would have talked about it. Um, but we started recording after the Star Wars Rise of Skywalker final trailer, uh, which kicks off two months of promotions and tickets are on sale which my tickets already bought um we did a whole trailer reaction uh in april to the star wars teaser trailer um so check that out so but i just want to say that it's really good trailer and it doesn't give away like anything but it also shows so many cool visuals and i watched it twice and I can't wait to watch it a 100 more times after we're done recording our podcast here. Um, but it just looks really cool, and I'm really intrigued by it. It's going in places that I think people were speculating, but also nothing's confirmed. It, you know, J.J. Abrams is a, a master of the mystery box, so everything we see may just be, you know, one big delusion, it's just Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver, like, doing, like, I don't know. Much Ado About Nothing on on a black box stage for two hours, which I'd watch, by the way. Watch the hell out of that. Um, but I think that it's it looks really good. There's an interpretation of the main theme that it, uh, uh, made me cry on command, uh, which I was like, oh, this is just happening now. I'm in tears. Um, and also the final line of the trailer is spoken by... Uh, Mark Hamill and Princess Leia and uh, Carrie Fisher, uh, and I cried. It's very, very, very compelling trailer. Um, it's very good. And, and yeah, C3PO has a line in there that also made me cry. Uh, I can't believe that that is a line that was said in the movie that I'm just going to, I think I'm just going to combust in the theater.
1: Right right now, like this whole past hour, we've just been talking to the ghost, the forest ghost of Willoughby.
2: Yeah, I ascended. <laughs> I became more powerful than you could possibly imagine.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, Anya, what is your really like for this week?
0: So I really like, I'm not going to talk about Parasite, but it is a perfect film. It was phenomenal. I think I had a weird reaction, though, compared to other people, because like, I was, like, sobbing by the end. Yeah. Okay. It's a sad ending. It is. But I also, I don't know. Everyone keeps, like, I just, like, I almost can't talk about this movie because, like, it, uh, it hit me so hard in a way that I was not expecting. Like, I don't know. Parasite just fucked me up. Emotionally, in, like, ways I was not expecting. Ugh. Well,
1: it's basically telling a hopeless situation, and that's what makes it so upsetting and tragic.
0: I just looked around, and no one else was crying, and I was, like, <laughs> sobbing in the theater, and I was, like... I was gonna say, you you warned me.
2: You warned me that I might have, a, like, a, a reaction to this film. And I was, like, is it, like, a content warning? And you were, like, no, no, it's just, it's brilliant and everything, but, like... And you told me that you, like, ended up crying, like, throughout the, whole, like, the final act or something. I was just like, oh,
1: gosh. But then I
2: didn't have that reaction. Which yeah, I can't, really, say, I, 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 say, I can't
1: say I cried I, either, um, but I, I can what understand me, why.
0: But, like, I was like I,
1: It's societal like, I know, injustice.
0: I literally, like, could not talk. I saw it with my roommate. I saw it with Dave, after, and I could not talk to her afterwards. Oh my she, gosh. like, wanted to talk about the movie, and I was like, I can't talk about this movie yet. Like, I can't talk about it. And like it, I had to like process it for like a, an entire day before I could even like start thinking about it or like reading about it because like I was so messed up by it.
1: That's fair. I, I also I had to process it too. I was like for a couple hours. I was like, oh my god.
0: I was like, I, I was like, I do not want to talk about it because like I couldn't. I was like, I need to like live with it first. Whew. okay. My actual really like. I just oh, had to say that. I thought that, that I also, was your really like. <laughs> no, I told you it wasn't going to be it, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention it because I can't have two of the three.
1: Okay, all right, all right.
0: <laughs> co-hosts. So I saw it and loved it, but also it fucked me up. Anyway, let me just also say that you guys know that I both love Broadway and Percy Jackson, right? Really? I, never I think heard you've ever it. mentioned Do it. Do I love those two things? Yeah, Maybe. I don't know. Well, this week on Broadway in fabulous New York City, Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief musical opened on Broadway. Yes. That's right, Percy Jackson is now a Broadway musical. Um, it's been in workshops for a while. I've had the soundtrack for a while. But it is now opened and it is getting good reviews and I just want to give it a quick shout out because the soundtrack is so fun. It's so catchy and the cast is diverse and the I can just tell from like the social media accounts of this musical that they really get why people are so attached to this series and like Rick Riordan's writings because they understand that the diversity in these books and the characters that you can see yourself in are so important. And they, you know, consistently acknowledge their queer fans and their fans of color and they clearly just get it. And that means so much to me. And the fact that it's a good musical to boot and that critics are liking it. And I'm very happy. And it is – I haven't seen it yet because it's only in New York. But I've listened to the soundtrack many times. And it's better than the movie, <laughs> Anya, which is a very low bar. It's a low bar, yeah. Are you gonna it's a very come low New New bar, but – Are you going to come to New York to see it? I mean, uh, I would love to. There are so many musicals. I was going to say, also, I need to come for Hadestown. But Hadestown is coming here next year. Okay. So I luckily get Hadestown. But I really want to see Percy Jackson. So – Maybe. (laughs) If I do, I'll let you know, and we can hang out and do all the fun things. Okay, yeah, let me know. But, yeah, I just want to give a shout-out. If you're a fan of the books and also a fan of musicals, definitely check the soundtrack out, because it's really fun. So, Willoughby, that means you. I mean, I don't know if you're a musical fan, but you should check it out anyway. Yeah. I'm a
2: musical fan.
0: I enjoy La La -La Land. (laughs)
1: No, I'm. Sorry. Of Anya's musicals. face of after he said that was the funniest thing I've ever seen. Immediate
0: switch. <laughs> I I'm very unimpressed. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah. No, no, no. I, I feel.
1: Like we probably
2: haven't talked about it too much, but yeah, I'm a fan of, of the theater, the music do He likes
1: the, bit, the Great White Way.
2: Moulin Rouge is one of my favorite films of all time.
0: Indeed. <laughs>
2: Another Day of Sun.
0: We <laughs> uh, do not mention the lyricists who should not be named.
1: Another Day of Sun wow. is a good song, though, on you. We've canceled
0: a lot of people
2: on this podcast today.
0: Basic and Paul have been canceled for forever. What a
2: couple so. of jokers.
0: What a, <laughs> Can Guys, you get, get a hold of those did. clowns? Remember when they did a musical set during. It either Vietnam or World War II. One of those wars. And the musical is about soldiers who come home and they make a bet to take the ugliest girl they can find to a dance. They made yeah. that musical? Yeah, they made a musical with that plot. What's that called? Dancing I and Paul have been canceled forever. I've never it heard of that. terrible musical. What is that musical? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a reason you haven't heard of it because it's awful and so is Dear Evan Hansen, which mistreats mental health issues. Anyway, I hate Pacing and Paul. And that movie is called Dogfight, by the way, or that musical is called Dogfight, and it's really terrible and very misogynistic, and I hate it.
1: Well, I'm never seeing it, but a movie I did please see no. this weekend that I really liked <laughs> <laughs> is Jojo Rabbit, directed by. Oh, no, wait, shoot. Oh, I wanted to talk about that, but also I saw the screeners for his deck materials. What should I talk about? Okay, well, please, you know. See, you could break them. your own rule. I can't break my rule, though. I made this
0: rule. Yes, you can. No, wait. I love both Jojo Rabbit and his dark materials.
1: I was all ready to do my spiel, and well, then I was like, wait, I also love this his dark way. materials.
2: HT, think about it this way. We're going to talk about his dark materials in a full episode. All
1: right. We are doing you that. You know what? My my really like is going to be Jojo Rabbit, but I will mention that I wrote a review of the of his dark materials, spoiler free. You can find it on com. I saw the first four episodes, and they're great, and I love them, and I can't wait to see more. Yes, four episodes of the eight-episode season. Look forward to the adaptation that we have deserved. That's all I'll say about that. Nice. All right. My really like this week is Jojo Rabbit, a wonderful, lovely, humane uh, comedy that really straddles that line between satire and um, just really sympathetic uh, character portrait that I can see, I can kind of see why, but also I don't understand why it's such the source of um, of division amongst critics who, who blame, who kind of call it out for humanizing Nazis. I don't think it necessarily does that. I think that by not being a full satire it makes people uncomfortable about the aspects of humanity and the, um, the more sympathetic nature of and complex natures of people, uh, in this real dark time. Uh, I really love Jojo Rabbit. This is the film directed by Taika Waititi. It is about a young boy, Jojo, who, uh, has an imaginary friend that is Adolf Hitler played by Taika Waititi. And, um, He is an ardent Hitler youth who believes in his country and his whole world is shaken when he discovers a young Jewish girl hiding in his walls. And I was really surprised by how dark and, and somber this movie gets. I really love how it starts off in that sort of candy colored vision of, and like that palette of the young child and slowly, as he look, learns more about the world, it becomes more gray and muted and somber. And it's such a wonderful coming-of-age story at the same time as being a movie that sort of interrogates our own perceptions um, through this young child who, like, grows out of... learns to see people and um, challenge his own perceptions. So it's really wonderful. And... um I experienced a full range of emotions watching it. I laughed, I cried, um, laughed again, I laughed while crying. I like Scarlett Johansson. So Taiko ITD's Jojo Rabbit. A real fantastic movie. Uh
0: I cannot wait to see it. I'm doing a double feature of that and the lighthouse this upcoming Ooh, weekend. Two very different Got movies. It's very different. You. It's gonna be very listen, last year I did a double screening of the post and Peter Rabbit, so I know how to do <laughs>
2: those it- are two extremes,
0: but I know how to do extremes when it comes to back to back movies.
2: Hey, so do we. H T and I we we once did a back to back of five hundred James of Sneak no, American History X. And then palate cleanser with 500 days of summer.
1: Yeah. Well, exactly. To be fair, you need a palate cleanser after American history X. You,
2: you really do. You really yeah. do. Um, but like
0: right back to back.
2: Um, so that's our episode.
0: Yes. That is our episode. I'm so glad that good. I can't wait to see it. Um, all right. If you guys have any thoughts about villains, anti-heroes, their redemptions, their not redemptions, um, or movies that you've seen and you've loved recently or the ones that you're excited about like Rise of Skywalker or Jojo Rabbit or Parasite or if you're super into any musicals right now like Percy Jackson come chat with us about all of those and more and where can they do that Willoughby
2: you can find us on Facebook if you search for us there we're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com and you, you can rate, review and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play and SoundCloud and where can they find you guys on the internet?
0: You can find me at hchanbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter and
2: yeah, you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter.
0: All right thanks for joining us guys. bye! bye.